the optimal life. But uh, thank you so awesome. much. I, I appreciate that. What which episodes have you listened to? Well, I've been I went straight for the NFL <laughs> just because I'm a football fan. So um, I started listening to uh, with the cornerback. You were uh, doing Lee Bodden. Uh, Lee Bodden. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I was enjoying that one. Lee Bodden's a big Kanye West fan. In case you didn't know. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> so uh, you have a, a special out now on Prime Video streaming right now as we speak called Healthy Long Life. Can you t take us through that documentary a bit, if you would? Yeah, Healthy Long Life is really a worldwide search to see how we can live longer, but more importantly, live healthy. The life expectancy in the U.S. now is up to almost 80 years old. It's like 976 uh, but the healthy life expectancy is 10 years less at 69 years. So the last 10 years of life are really spent in pain, suffering, uh, crushing medical bills. And much like most people, I live that with my grand, uh, my grandfather my, uh, who had Alzheimer's, my grandmother who died of cancer. My dad died of congestive heart failure, but he had cancer twice. My uncle died of pancreatic cancer. My aunt died of, of stage four melanoma cancer. And I'm like, this has got to stop. And I'm not buying into the lie anymore that, well, your genetics are going to uh, determine your fate. Uh, what I found by talking to, uh, to multiple experts around the world and top, top experts is that genetics are accounting for about five, maximum 10% of all deaths from cancer. So then why are so many people dealing with cancer and heart disease? And that's what the documentary really sets out to uh, go explore and find answers. I don't preach. There's no soapbox preaching. The information's put out there so the viewer can use their own mi uh, mind to make their decisions. Right. And, and how? so, you know, you, you came out with this eight-episode documentary series. First off, when did it release? So it's just released uh, in uh, September, October of 2020 on, on Prime Video. It was released on the Apple TV streaming box, not the app, but the actual box uh, in August of 2020. So this is pretty fresh, but it was a four year project for me. Um, I started in 2016 and I traveled to uh, Chichen Itza in Mexico. I was really interested in seeing what the Mayan ancient traditional healing methods might, you know, offer to help us live longer. Uh, and we filmed in Sardinia, one of the blue zones where there's more uh, men over the age of 100 concentrated in one area than anywhere else in the world. We uh, traveled to the longevity capital of, of Japan, uh, which is way up there in the top 10. It's like the number one spot I think in longevity in the world overall uh, we went to China just to look at ancient Chinese medicine traditional Chinese medicine what that could offer we went to the spice capital of the world in India where you know the poverty level is so high that they can't really turn to, to pharmaceuticals so they have this tradition, every family in India knows how to use food and spices to heal. That was pretty interesting and exciting as well. And, um, but aside from that, we, we also 
went to the top health organizations. Like we did an interview in uh, the World Health Organization with the director of the Department of Nutrition and we went to the Max Planck Institute. So we were trying to get this balance of what does science and the researchers say uh, and then what are the tradition, uh, traditions handed down through the generations? Um, because I think pharmaceuticals today can help you combat disease, but they don't promote health. Mm. And I, that was such an important realization for me that that's why we're living longer because medicine and medical devices and surgical procedures are fighting back the disease that can take your life, but they're not promoting your life. You know, that's why I'm so excited, uh, Nate, to be on your program. The optimal life. Here is the news break. Medicine, pharmaceuticals will not give you the optimal life. They can help you live longer and they can combat disease. But if you want the optimal life, it's really up to you to be proactive and seek out how can you promote health. So the things that promote health, I bet you talk about them on your podcast all the time. Things as simple as getting enough rest. Is that the most important thing? That is debatable. Um, but the things that we do on a daily basis uh, are going to promote health or they're going to promote illness. So uh, another big breakthrough in India, I talked with to a natural healer named Dr. Sharma, and he said something that just blew my mind. He said, your body is not designed to be sick. You have to earn disease. I'm like, what? You have to earn infirmities or disease or sickness because your body was designed to be in optimal health. It was designed to be healthy, but the decisions you make every day are either going to take you to health or they're going to take you to illness. So rest is critical. And one of the reasons why I think rest is on our top list of, of getting healthy is because especially in the United, United States, much of our illness can be attributed to stress. Yes. And we wear it like a badge of honor. You know, well, I only need to sleep four hours a night because I'm up and at it when the Wall Street, you know, is open. I'm on my computer trading and that's not even my day job. That's just how I, you know, kill it and make enough money to pay the jets skis and the boat, you know? It's like, well, where were you resting? Uh, hopefully you're not going to die early and rest in peace you know, of a heart attack in your 50s uh, or your 40s. Um, so rest is big, but there's, there's another thing that we're doing every single day. And you can choose health by the bite full or by the fork full. You know, we are feeding foods into our body that are either healing us or making us sick. So I would, I would say, Nate, if I had to choose one, I would say it's the food that we eat that's the number one factor. And that's much more powerful than your genes because the nutrients in, in your food can actually turn off cancer-associated genes or, or mutated cancer genes. I learned that from Dr. Dean Ornish, uh, one of the, the experts that we interviewed. Going back to your Dr. Sharma uh, example, I find that uh, I, I have issue with with that. I 
I understand what he's saying about being proactive and making sure that the fuel that we put into our body and the lifestyle that we live will, of course, attribute to being stronger, healthier, fight off infectious disease, yes. etc. Um, but to be, you know, what I would ask him is when he says we're all built to be healthy and, and you have to earn it, and I know what he means. But but how about how do you respond? Because you listen, you've dealt with cancer from a firsthand perspective with your grandparents, your aunt, your uncle, your own father. Uh, uh, people are are super healthy. People that may be working out, maybe doing fitness, maybe eating well, and then they come down with cancer. They come down with uh, Lou Gehrig's disease or some other de- debilitating disease. How do you you know what do you attribute that to? I love that question. First of all, because I think that everything in my documentary series should be challenged. If you can watch it and have critical thinking and not just let one more expert shove their truth down your throat, I think you're being proactive about your health. So I love that that you challenge that thinking um, because it makes me consider... So not only do I do documentaries, but for the last 27 years, I've been the CEO of a integrative cancer treatment center called Oasis of Hope. And that was founded by my grandfather in 1963. And he was one of the very first integrative doctors treating cancer patients, providing resources to their body, mind and spirit. And we're used to getting patients that just were abusive to their body all the time. And it's kind of like, well, yeah, I even knew that I was going to get cancer because I didn't exercise and I was eating greasy food all the time and smoking all the time. But then we get these, you know, like vegans that were marathon runners that were just in the top condition. Mm -hmm. And it's like, how in the world did that person get cancer um and my uncle is the chief of oncology francisco Contreras, and he always brings up the example of george burns you know that is doing comedy in his 90s while he's smoking his cigar and has a, a glass of whiskey <laughs> right and it's like like why did the 30 year old vegan marathon runner get cancer and george burns lives so long with such a well, who knows what he was doing in his private life, but his public persona, right, was this cigar-smoking whiskey, you know, that deep voice. Sure. And I have I have an answer. One is there is the genetic factor. I didn't say that, that you know, genes aren't a factor, but they're a small factor. But the reality is that stress is is as powerful as the foods that we eat. Uh, and your psychoneuroendocrinology uh, profile can be one that is making you susceptible uh, to cancer. Now, cancer itself is what we call an opportunistic disease. There are malignant and mutated cells running through all of our bodies right now, but not all of us have cancer. There has to be an opportunity for cancer cells to start collecting to to form a tumor. And the number one opportunity is a depressed immune system. And stress can release all of these hormones in our body. We can be on a stress cycle that's releasing from our adrenal glands a lot of cortisol, and that will depress the immune system and can give the opportunity for cancer to form. So that's part one of my answer. Stress, I think, is a big factor. 
that even people that are uh, exercising and eating right may not be able to manage their stress efficiently and they give the opportunity via a depressed immune system. And the other one is you could do everything perfectly, but you're still living in a broken world and you're still exposed to the radio frequencies and the microwaves and the plastics that are in the air now, you know, the, the nanoparticles of plastics that are breaking through and the, the polluted earth. So your body was designed to be healthy and not get sick ever, uh, but in the context of living in a healthy world and environment. And so that's where we really have to be proactive about our health because we're living in a, you know, just surround just in the clothing that we're wearing to like today i have a t-shirt on that has some polyester in it i'm not gonna lie i'm gonna be honest there are like six thousand chemicals just in the clothing that we're wearing so mm-hmm. we are just surrounded by toxins and things that can make us unhealthy so with that said we are exposed there's a lot of threats every day that we walk outside and maybe even inside our, our homes like you say with microwave and radio frequency etc so Give us a few ways um, through your through your years of study. Give us some ways that we can add healthy years to our lives. I think the very first step that I would take is say live in the present, um, because that's one of the ways to really manage uh, uh, stress and anxiety uh, and avoid depression. If you're living in the past, you might be reliving old old wounds and it could keep you in a state of anxiety. If you're living for tomorrow, you're always going to be living in a state of anxiety because who knows what uh, tomorrow will hold. I mean, think, think who imagined that 2020 would put the world on lockdown, right? So you don't try to anticipate, but try to live today and try to be grateful for all the things that we do have today. We may have a shelter in place order, but I have my family together with me. So find things to celebrate on a daily basis uh, to make healthy food choices. And I don't believe in forcing anyone into any type of diet. In fact, in Healthy Long Life, you'll hear experts talk about a number of different ways to eat healthy. Um, but I think you have to find your way. And I don't believe in cold uh, turkey uh, because if you go on some regimented diet, you know, just force yourself to discipline, that might last for a month or two months. What I really believe in is um, be moderate and make choices uh, and goals. Like, you know what, today I'm not going to do the triple guacamole hamburger with uh, crispy onions on it. I'm going to make a choice to have some healthy salad today and celebrate that victory today and then take tomorrow uh, as a, a new challenge. And if, if you can make small goals, like when I started to change my life, Nate, I just was like, no more fast food. Um, and if I want a burger, I'm going to have to make it myself. And if I want pizza, I'm going to have to make it myself. And I find that when you have to make your own food, um, it, you don't you don't overeat quite as much because it's just not so easy to just pull through a drive-through uh, and get something unhealthy. So I I did a transition over time. 
uh, I cut things out a little at a time. And what I found, and science will back this, is that your palate actually gets retrained and your body stops craving things that are high in fat, uh, high in salt, low in fiber. Your body starts to crave the good stuff. And, and so that's really good because food is addicting, don't you think, Nate? Oh, absolutely. I mean, you put a pizza in front of me, it's probably going to be gone. Me too. I, you know, it doesn't anything. It's like I try to be real, uh, especially I'm out here talking about health, and, and you might see me eat something not so healthy. Well, I'm still human, and, and eating right isn't my religion. Uh, and sometimes emotionally, I still feel the need to have some comfort food. Um, but it's, it's rare where it used to be my normal pattern. Yes, absolutely. I, I do. I do I echo that. Go ahead. I echo that because there's times if I cut out carbs and really stick to it for an extended period, maybe 30 days, and not not fully cut out carbs, but really limit the intake, I stop craving things that have starch or wheat and etc. And uh, I don't feel as hungry. So I do 100% agree with that. Yeah, and, and uh, you know, then there are emission, uh, emotional triggers. And I found that, you know, if I'm doing really well on my eating for a long time and not having the cravings, then I might have an emotional trigger, either negative or positive trigger. Um, I, I might have some of that food, but I, my body starts to kind of be like, don't, don't overdo it. You know, like I cut off, like I might have been able to do a whole pan of nachos but now it's like yeah no I'm not going to finish off that pan and do another one um, you know I was listening to one of your uh, podcasts with NFL former NFL star Lee Wadden and, and that makes me think you know Super Bowl Sunday is filled with all kind of emotional triggers for me and to think of watching that game without having like this spread of, of unhealthy sacks that's kind of crazy uh, sure. You know, so I those days I kind of I kind of work and try to find a balance. And and one of my secrets is to, to try to fill my body up like hard with with good things. Like broccoli is this incredible safety net that will even help you eliminate a lot of the fats. But if you fill yourself up with salads and broccoli before game time. It can help you limit how much you go on the junk food. Sure, and I totally agree. So you're talking psychological with living in the moment. You're talking food choices, but but you you I know you're an expert. I know you've been doing this for a long time. What what are people people we hear this type of stuff all the time? Eat healthy, exercise, sleep, get rest. You know what are some of the more intricate details, if you would, uh, based on your knowledge of experience that could maybe help people that are struggling with this or that want to be that want to learn how to live a longer life okay let's get you know really specific I mentioned broccoli what I didn't tell you is that broccoli is in a in a family of vegetables called the cruciferous vegetables and all of those are really high in sulfate and sulfate is an incredible uh, polyphenol that combats cancer so one of the uh, that group of foods the most anti-cancer fighting foods but also help you manage 
diabetes will help you lose uh, uh, weight and and help you combat cardiovascular disease are the cruciferous. So um, let me give you a list. Uh, Broccoli is there. Uh, Cauliflower is there. Um, Bok choy, Brussels sprouts. And so what I try to do is every single day I'm eating uh, some kale, which is in that group, broccoli, cauliflower. Uh, I love bok choy um, and Brussels sprouts. So throughout the week, I'm, I'm kind of cycling through those as a start. Um, anything that's rich in, in polyphenols are going to really help you. So, you know, load up on those vegetables, have a little bit of fruit, um, have a little bit of grains, not too much. Stay away from the processed uh, white flour products uh, to be more specific. Um, white rice isn't a great thing. If you're going to have rice, definitely have brown rice. Um, what what else could I share? You know, hydration is so important. I try to, to drink at least those eight glasses of pure water uh, a day. Your, your body needs that. Yeah, I do 100 ounces a day as well. Um, I try to that do 100 ounces. That is a lot. You beat me, Nate, because I struggle to drink that much. If I if I have a day where I'm over 80 ounces, I'm like dancing. <laughs> well, it definitely helps the energy for sure. I mean, if you go a day with being dehydrated and then the next day compare it by to drinking whatever, 60, 80, 100 ounces of water, you will feel a noticeable difference come 4 or 5 o'clock in the afternoon. That's again. That is a scientific fact. At least that's been my experience. It is. You know, it, something really interesting about exercise as well. I guess we've heard so much about exercise, and lots of people talk about endorphins, and you get this rush, you know, and you might even be able to increase the dopamine. But there's there's something that I think nobody's really heard about. If you've heard about it, um, I congratulate you. Uh, but there's this hormone uh, called serotonin. And in fact, when people are depressed, uh, psychologists or psychiatrists will prescribe serotonin uh, replacement therapy. The crazy thing is, is that the, the majority of the serotonin that's produced in our body is produced in our gut. Right. People always think, well, it's a neurotransmitter, so it's produced in the brain. Well, actually, it's produced in the gut. Which is the this second is where, brain. What's which, that? Which, they, which is what they say is the second brain, in fact, the gut. So you know this, Nate. Cool. So exercise is also so important because if you spend your whole day sitting uh, down, you're not getting the movement throughout your intestines uh, to help in the serotonin production. We, you know, the way I describe it is that if you're not moving around, your gut becomes a stagnant pond when really your whole GI tract is supposed to be like a river where it's just flowing and fresh and getting replenished and and you're creating the environment where you're promoting more serotonin. So if you're exercising, you know, depression will go away because you're able to produce more serotonin naturally. How about vitamins and supplements? What's your take on, uh, on that? I get asked that all the time, and I'm like, hey, you know, if you want to take a vitamin product, that can add to it, but it, 
you know, and that's why they're called supplements. It's supposed to supplement. Uh, and the only reason why I'm pro vitamins, minerals, and enzyme supplements is because the quality of the soil around the world that we're growing good vegetables and fruits from has is largely depleted of necessary nutrients. Uh, but still, there's there's no substitute. Like, well, I'm going to take vitamin uh, C, but I'm not going to eat you know bell peppers which are really rich in vitamin c i went for that because the obvious is oranges right people don't know that bell peppers are rich in vitamin c but but see when you get vitamin c from a whole food you're also getting the fiber you're also getting the enzymes and you're getting all other kinds of nutrients that are working in synergy to make that vitamin c bioavailable so your body can use it and benefit from it and it's a natural source. Uh, vitamin C in tablets is, isn't even real C. It's it's manufactured. It's it's a chemical lookalike. Um, and so, if you want to take vitamins and such, I, more power to you. You know, enjoy. It can give a little bit of help, but it's no substitute for whole foods. So your big thing is is f- the foods are probably the number one thing for you. That's your main approach. I really think it is, um, but I'm so influenced by people like um, who are in my documentary, like T. Colin Campbell, who did the the China study, um, which was a, a longitudinal study over 20 years in like 600 counties in China, and it all came down to the food. And I asked Dr. Campbell, I said, "So are you telling me that if you don't want to get cancer, you have to be?" plant-based or a vegetarian or a vegan and he said i wouldn't make that statement i would say that the closest the closer you are to being plant-based the lower your risk of cancer are based on tens of thousands of people we followed over 20 years so um yeah you, you were cutting I, out I a little definitely da- am food oriented you were cutting out a little daniel but if i heard you you said that the the gentleman in the film uh, the China study said that the more the closer you are to plant based, the better your chances are to not come down with cancer. Yeah, that okay. that was a exactly what his study found, uh, tracking tens of thousands of people uh, over twenty years in China, uh, and then he comes back to show that then as China opened up their economy and the fast food chains came in to uh, to China. Uh, their their incidence of diabetes, heart disease, and cancer is going way up. Uh, so these are published studies, and we can choose to either believe the science or just go on with the way we want to eat because we're stubborn. We don't want to make a change. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, I agree, and and that of course. Uh, that is uh, that's one study. Um, some people may have other takes on you know being more uh, red meat based and less plant based, or maybe a mix of both, or less less carbs. It's just it's crazy. There's so much information out there. I'd be curious to know what the was there a common theme amongst all your subjects in the documentary? Do they all kind of have one universal uh, thought process that they share? There is one. And I love that you asked the question, Nate. There's because you're right. Some are saying it's this. Some are saying we need a keto diet. 
you know, we need, like if you want something that's more meat-based, uh, a huge one right now is the paleo diet. Right. Um, and so you're like, wait a second, all of them have published research papers. So they're all right. And you can defend any position. And so I was looking for that one common thread and I found it. Every single researcher agrees that we need to eat a lot less than we're eating. They call it caloric restriction. Another way to say it is portion size. And so, um, yeah, eat less. I noticed here in the United States, you know, it's like they justified raising the price in restaurants by just the serving size. So you're like, wow, that plate is $15. Oh, well, at least it's a lot of food. But you should be feeding the family of four on that one plate. Mm. And uh, and we've all learned how to expand our stomachs through disciplined eating, disciplined overeating until I can finally finish the whole plate. And as little kids, I don't know if you were raised this way, but I was. It's like you have to clean your plate because our parents came through the depression where there wasn't enough food. And so for them, their drive was to make sure that their kids didn't know hunger the way they did. Like my dad tells stories of when he was nine or 10 years old, his dad would give him a 22 rifle and say, go find some squirrel because if not, we're not eating today. Wow. Yeah. And so obviously he wanted to make sure his son had enough on the plate. But for him, his soul would hurt if I wouldn't finish what was served because it's like, how dare you not finish that? I worked so hard so that you wouldn't have to go out in the field and look for rabbit or squirrel. Uh, you know, the, the problem is, is that translated into a population, you know, like I'm in, in uh, generation X and X for excess, excess in everything that we do because yeah. uh, our parents didn't have it. And for them to see their kids have all of the food and the toys and the vacations, we grew up in excess in America. Well, I'd be curious to watch your documentary. Uh, you definitely have sparked my interest. I have not had a chance to do that yet, of course. But um, now that we've spoken, I plan on doing that. Want to see what some of the top experts, um, you know, clinicians, researchers, etc., that you've brought on see what they say and uh, this is definitely a subject that I'm extremely interested in uh, you guys can find them healthylonglife.com Daniel Kennedy is there anything else that we missed no I'm just so happy that you're gonna take a look at it and, and I hope you see that I was um, really giving everyone a, a fair shake uh, you're gonna see plenty of people eating meat uh, in their traditions and such I did not edit things out to my own personal um, viewpoint on foods because I wanted to see what was really in those uh, places like Sardinia they make goat cheese and they eat goat uh, and sheep and their specialty is a uh, baby pig over a roasted fire um, and and still they're the longevity capital of the world for men <laughs> how does that work you'll have to watch the documentary to figure out why Perfectly said. Daniel Kennedy, thank you so much, and uh, we'll stay in touch. Such a pleasure. Thank you, Nate. Thanks. Take care.